This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Uh, I think things are so bad at the moment that I don't want to add any added punishment by trying to speak French and sharing my French <laughs> skills with you and even trying to quote you in French. And um, I mean, thank you for Google translation software. Thank you for Chrome. Thank you for my Becherel that I pull out from time to time and I try to do my conjugaison, whatever that stuff is. My Arabic is so bad already that there's no point in making things worse. So okay. with that said, <laughs> I But still- But you have a Becherel, so I, that oh, says a lot already. I'm just saying. My Becherel goes back to the early 1990s. And- uh, Okay, that- I assume the French language hasn't changed much in the last three decades. Inshallah, <laughs> it's already that complicated on its own, yani, but exactly. not, not to make it more complicated. No, no. But I will say, I will say, I'm a big fan of Lorient Le Jour. Um, I've sort of, Thank you. I've leaned that way in terms of learning a lot, not just from what's happening recently, but in general. Lorient Le Jour, despite my French skills, um, I'm a fan, and I'm glad that you were willing to take part in a very tense sort of 10 days since the explosions last week. And uh, just a very, very taxing moment, I think, for anyone who's reporting on what's happening. And um, whether you're in Lebanon or abroad, I think it's just been a very, it's been a very difficult stretch. So anyone willing to talk to me at this time, especially during the intense heat, and uh, you know, I mean, and it's late, <laughs> No, you're, you're... I'm dead. No, no, I'm dead. No, it, it is. It is a break, Yanni. We're gonna, Yanni, to be able to just sit and talk in a very chill manner. Yeah. Yani, hey, after everything, Yanni. Yeah. So. No, I, I, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad that we didn't really structure this episode that much because I kind of wanted to just have a friendly chat, and it's, it's born out of something you shared online, which is why I reached out to you. Uh, you were, sort of online you were texting your friend and you shared a photo of a, yeah. your screenshot conversation you're having with your friend and then the explosions happen and then you go back to that conversation days later and it's almost mm-hmm. like a pause where it's yeah. in a way it's 607 if you will tuesday yeah and then it's today and today has been i think ever since that explosion so in many ways you kind of opened up a bit into things that i was thinking about as well I'm not there at the moment, but I was sort of imagining what it would have been like to be in your shoes. And um, I'm just impressed. I mean, all the effort needed to report on this event as someone who's living in Beirut and dealing with many things, uh, it's a privilege to get to explore these things with you. But I want to start somewhere. I want to start maybe with a very big question. Whether you think this is a tipping point And whether you think this is the real before and after moment. I'm going to ask this in a a way comparing it to the previous sort of language used for October 17th. There's a before and after. Do you think this, these explosions, August 4th, 6.08 p.m., do you think that is the tipping point and now there's a before and after? And you say as much as you'd like. I know this is a very sort of, uh, it's just a personal reaction, I, if anything, mm-hmm. just from your eyes, having seen many things happen in recent months, do, do you think this is the final straw? On the fact that there, that there is a before and after, that is for sure, I think, um, anyone that either is in Beirut or anyone following the news, or Lebanese news in general, attached to Lebanon in any way, um, 
this is like they, there is no question about the before or after. Like you can see it in the way people are behaving in the street, in the way we even um, as journalists are, are reporting, but not just us as a humans, as Lebanese yeah. people, yani only. Um, you can see it how it has impacted our daily behaviors, our way of talking, our way of reacting to different things, whether it's in our daily lives, whether it's a sound, whether it's um, something falling on the ground or anything, or even politically, our reactions are way, there's way more anger than during the revolution, uh, which was there already back then. Yeah. But this time it's different because it was all the way, like they, they came to our houses, like literally in our homes. And right. so that was a very different feeling of, of um, it's not just a political fight at this point. It's right. all or nothing. It's to the death at this point. And so there is a before and after. The parts concerning the tipping point in my head, I do put them into different planes mm. in the sense that it could be, and I hope it will be the tipping point, um, if the counter um, actors in the sense civil society and all the other actors that are mm. outside of the old school uh, yeah. Zuama system, yes. mm-hmm. um, if they achieve their goals and objectives and are able to, to solidify their position in the arena, in the political arena, uh, and social one as well, then it could be the tipping point. You know what I mean? So, so I'm, I'm, and I'm going to only interrupt in terms of just sort of uh, trying to unlayer certain things. When you say civil society taking a role, that means beyond what was happening since October of 17. Course. Okay, and, wh- and what does that mean exactly, though? And that they would actually be more active. Okay, so I don't even go back to only the revolution. I go mm-hmm. back to even before that, yes. when especially, of course, the elections, we are thinking 2016 and then 2018. Yeah. Yes. Like, those are proper markers that we cannot just only go back to the revolution. Like, it's, it's sure. a way larger, broader yeah. context. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I mean about the way um, that they could get, not necessarily more active, but it's more about consolidating the position at this point, because they they kind of they did enter the arena. We cannot like we cannot say there's no civil society. It's there. Mm-hmm. The, my issue is um, that kulnon yani kulnon, okay, and we're all like we agree on that. Um, but tomorrow, if there are elections, who do we vote? Who do we vote for on the ballot? Yeah, as civil society, I'm, I'm saying. Right. Like uh, whose name is going to be on the ballot? And so far, unfortunately. There's not one figure, specifically one figure or three figures, for example, not necessarily just one, that has emerged enough to be able to to say I am the, I am representing this movement with all the nuances that go with it. Because of course, if there is someone representing us, or re- like, of course we will have issues maybe on certain points of a certain program, maybe economically, maybe politically. That's that's fine. But who is representing that? That movement. That's my big question. So, I, okay, now maybe I'll, I'll. I'm going to imagine what it's like right now to be in Jemaze, let's say, or Madam Khair, and you see sort of a lot of people rushing to offer support, and many different NGOs that have already taken the lead, and all this money that has been sent uh, to Lebanon bypassing the state, and uh, in a way, Lebanese people healing their own wounds. And to me, I hope I understand these things right in terms of terminology. To me, that is civil society. And, and yeah, and in many ways, there's a, um, the, the healthy non-state actors in Lebanon that are there to, in a way, protect and, and give comfort and shelter and, and everything. Uh, they're doing a fantastic job. I'm going to take that sort of image and then that the blasts were 10 days ago and we had protests and we had a government officially resign and then 10 days has gone by and to me there's this sort of fear maybe Mm -hmm. that it's quickly going back to politics as usual 
And this is not to do with particular speech, Hassan Nasrallah just giving a, a speech about many things. It's not about that. Or it's not even about um, the, maybe the robustness, let's, let's say, of the usual suspects, that the president's not going anywhere, the Speaker of Parliament's not going anywhere, and that the Prime Minister is now in a caretaker capacity. Or for that matter, that international leaders are flying in and sort of, you know, giving their opinions on certain things. It's not that. It's that that's the familiar. And I think I've seen so much of that whenever there's a crisis in Lebanon that to me it's automatically, well, these are just, that's what Lebanon does. It goes back to some inertia that is not really sustainable and it eventually crashes again. And I don't want to sound too bleak here, but I would have expected after that kind of giant impact, and you said it right, October 17 did not enter our homes. It maybe it entered our bank accounts. It entered our it, it entered our our oxygen. Maybe it entered our well-being, but it didn't enter our homes physically. This explosion destroyed our homes. Even then, to me, it seems like this is politics as usual. Is that too negative? And I I don't want to sort of be the one to make things sound too depressing, but is is that is that too 2020 vision, almost too clear that there's a lot of stuff happening that is still positive? Including what you said about civil society maybe laying the foundation, maybe sort of aiming for the long term. Because right now, I, I just don't see the positive in, in, in this moment. And I would have expected more by now. But that's, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the floor here because I don't want to speak on your behalf. But I'm, I'm just curious if that's, if that's too bleak. No, no, you've said very, very um, interesting points and, and correct points, actually. And when you talk about, in my opinion, at least, mm. um, when you talk about politics as usual and so on, I mean, just open any any channels or any newspaper and, and yani, what you've read 10 years ago is still relevant today. So yeah. How crazy is that? It, yeah. it, it's, it's like videos are, are, are going around on, on social media right now about different explosions and it's, it's the same thing yeah. again. Yeah. So... That's why you're not wrong at all by saying it's going back to politics as usual. Mm. And that was my point. Maybe it was not explained um, well enough about civil society in the sense that about the political role that can lead to civil society. For example, today mm. I was at base camp Madam Khayyid yeah. and, and people are doing an incredible job. That, that, yes. It was mind-blowing how they could work all together, everyone has their role, yeah. and and there's so much dynamism, like, it's crazy. Yeah. But that is a different thing than the political role that civil society could play. In the sense right. that right. Um, they they are running a sort of, uh, it, it's, it's, it's like a mini government-like system that's going on in Basecamp, but it's not it's not political at the end of the day, it's, it's helping yes. people. Right. Um, what I mean is it's, that- It's basic services, it's what the state's supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What I mean about civil, by civil society being able potentially to consolidate their position if they play it well, strategically speaking, uh, politically speaking, I'm, I'm aiming more at the people that already have a political role or a political voice in the arena as social, social society figures. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I do understand completely the need for being unified as a front, to have a unified front as a Swiss society and so on against the, the traditional, in a way, establishment. I understand that. The, the issue that could arise from that, and that will only depend on how they play their cards afterwards, and yeah. that we cannot predict. They, they meaning um, the usual suspects, not the civil society. No, I meant how, how the civil society plays their cards. Oh, how civil society plays their cards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. because um, if they play it right, they can be in a proper counterposition in order to actually change the system. And But if we stick in this um, dynamic of we don't want any proper leader, then at some point that's we're, we're already facing the issue. Even during the revolution, there was the issue and everyone was saying, please, we... Not everyone, but a part of the people was, were saying we want at least someone that we can talk to to represent yeah. that group. Right. And there still isn't. Yeah. And that's, the, that's, that's why I keep on saying if they play their cards right in the next few weeks, next few months, 
that could work. They could, they could have an incredible role in changing the system in Lebanon. I want to ask you though, and before we go any further in politics, which is really, I think that, I mean, it would be very odd to skip the political story here. I just want to go back to one thing. Where were you when the explosion happened? Uh, I was at home. At home? So, in Jaitewe. Okay. In Jaitewe? Oh, you were yeah. in Jaitewe. Okay, so that, I see. Then I should have actually asked you this earlier, but I, I was curious. I mean, it's a stupid question to ask, but are you, are you okay after the explosion? I mean, I, I assume there's damage done to the, to the home itself. Yeah, but um, okay. So for for the house, that's yeah. like the, the the house is destroyed at this point. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but that's fine. It's only you know it's only a house. At the end of the day, <laughs> we can rebuild. And and I'm very lucky in the sense that um, my landlord is a very very. I have a very nice landlord who who is really helping for the reparations and so on. So I have no room to complain about that. My and the only thing, and, and thankfully, I also have a shelter, which is uh, a relative's home where I'm. I'm here now, right? Uh, where I can stay during uh, while I, I while I while I work while I repair the, the house and so on. So that's fine for the house. Um, the shock of the house being gone is still there, but it's easy to rationalize by saying it's only the material stuff. You know what I mean? Right. But you, so, so you, and you're physically, um, you're fine. Physically, there's no, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, and the reason I'm, exactly. the reason and I'm asking, so, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no worries. And so that's why, you know, I, on that side and physically I'm completely fine. So there's, again, there's no room to complain about any of that. Now, talking onto the trauma aspect and more psychological aspect of it, yeah. um, the answer so far is I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I think it would be very unfair to even anyone to expect you to know the yeah. answer to that. It's yeah, too yeah. soon. It's too soon. No, but the reason, I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up, and it's a bit, bit of a sensitive subject, is that, uh, I mean, you're, you're in the neighborhood, you're in one of those neighborhoods that was hit so hard yeah. from this explosion. Yeah. And you're living there, and now you can't live there. In your mind, I mean, that kind of pent-up frustration and anger... Forget trauma, forget the psychological yeah. impact, just in terms of the immediate rage from within. I can't, I can't, there's two things that don't enter my mind. One is a visible name or person or something that you can turn to and say, that's the future. And that echoes what you said earlier in terms of not having leadership. And the other thing, Everyone else that you can point the finger at and say you're part of the problem, all of them, to expect them to actually take responsibility. And I think that, that dilemma is paralysis. And I, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll go back to civil society and, and maybe their, the, how they can translate their ambitions to actual political power. But I'm just for the moment right now, shy of that transition, I would have expected leaders to have either resigned or fled out of fear. I, I think I would, I would have expected a more structural change because that explosion is so, so intense and so painful. And it, I just, I, I would have imagined a, a more, I would have imagined a more desperate uh, reaction and also a more uh, calculated sort of, this is not going to last, it's time to go. And stuff didn't happen. Resiliency yeah. happened. And what you're saying is actually, it's straight on point that your landlord is taking the role of fixing the apartment. You have a decent landlord who's helping. Um, there are many active citizens on the streets cleaning up, doing things. And they're showing up early in the morning, leaving late at night. And it's, it's, they're going through pain just to help. And that's fantastic. And yet that's the story. That's the imagery I always see. Mm. In the middle of Harib Tammuz, I volunteered for Oxfam. I would go from Zico House and Spears to the schools throughout Beirut, distributing hygiene kits. And that kind of population without shelter, and in many ways desperate and, and yearning for support, 
and then there's always Lebanese willing to help and make things easier. I mean, that's, that's the pattern. And yet there's no political change. And that many opportunities for civil society to, to maybe force some change and maybe consolidate around leadership. And yet those things don't happen in Lebanon. And I'm curious if there's any obvious reasons to you why since October, and now entering 10 months, almost 11 months into where we started and this whole protest movement, that the structural changes haven't happened. There hasn't been much evolution, at least in terms of the people, or let's say the ideas, forget people, the ideas that many protesters would like to see take hold rather than the old ways. I, I mean, I don't think time is on anyone's side. And I, I just think 10 days is already too long. It's just, yeah. yeah. I agree. But, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, the thing is, talking about structured structural change of the, the, the traditional establishment. Yeah. Um, when they, they let go, let go, uh, of Hariri in, mm. in That's actually October. nice. That's a nice way of putting it. I, nobody's ever put it that way with me. I like that. I'm going to start, I'm going to steal this from you. When they let go of Hariri, that's actually a smart, I, you know what? Plagiarizing you. I'll, I'll quote you when needed, but I like that. Sorry, I interrupted. Go for it. <laughs> it's a good way. It's a good, see, it's a very good way of explaining the problem. It's yeah. that it's not a resignation born out of responsibility. It's not a resignation. No. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Although I, I, will, no, I will make sure anyone who hears that quote is directed to you. But, but keep going. <laughs> when they let go no, of you can, you can, you don't even put any credit. That's completely Yeah, funny. I'll just leave it as anonymous no, yeah. slash Julie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, but um, even then, like we we and then then they then Hassan Jab was brought and so on. Um, uh, already back then, we knew that it it was a change, like uh, in appearance, that there was right. no proper structural change. Like we knew. Yeah. And and the the blast, I think, will not change that in their mind because I did. Um, um, wrestle a lot with the idea of I don't understand why they're not stepping down right now. Yeah. And I was, especially as you talked about anger and especially in the immediate reaction of just not understanding why are you not stepping down? Like Beirut, like there's no Beirut at this point. Like what yeah. are you talking about? How is no one being held accountable or at least holding themselves ac accountable? Like exactly. how are you? Like, yeah. Which is crazy. And the more I was thinking about it and the more it makes sense in the sense that the system is, is, is built on them agreeing among each other to hold themselves out, to stay in power. You know, I, I, I don't think in English it's, it sounds no, no, better, I, yeah. actually, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try to say it better. Can you say but, it in um, French so I can maybe learn something? Uh, um, in the sense that... Um, Le système tient grâce au fait que chacun se soutient dans le système pour rester dans le système. It's a lot of systems. Julie, that, thank you, thank you for explaining to me like I'm a little kid. You had to do the visualizations. That's really nice. I appreciate that. I actually understood what you're doing. Oh, le système. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> I told you. I told you it has been a very long week. No, so no, no. I'm saying like there's there's only a few ways to explain idiots like me French, and you did no, you no, did no, it. No, no. The system. No, no, no. The system. The system. The system. No, but in the sense that the, the one word that I actually know in English too, system. I'm like oh, the system. The system. The system. 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 It works. <laughs> but um, but uh, like if one of them steps down, mm -hmm. it crumb the whole system again crumbles down. Right. Right. Because it has been like that since the war and they built it this way. And then when the father dies, then the son goes after the father and then it just keeps going dynasty after dynasty. And that's how it works. And behind closed doors, let's say you and I, you're a Zaim of X group to not talk about communities or whatsoever. And, and I'm a Zaim of another group. And we, we, we want power. That's all we have in mind. Okay? And you know that you need me in order to stay in power. And I know I, that I need you in order to stay in power. Even though 
even though we do have some conflicting interests on some issues. But the big picture is that both of us want to stay in power. Mm. What are mm. we going to do? We're going to, you stick with me, I stick with you. Like, but does that, does that mean, and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not sort of, yeah, no, I, no, I don't no, mean no, to do challenge it. you. But just in terms of taking that to the population that's fed up. Let's assume, let's assume the politicians are not fed up. Let's say they're able to ride this out for maybe indefinitely. But the, pop, the, the citizens are fed up, or at least enough of them are. Enough people that come from a variety of backgrounds and variety of economic, it's not, it's, it's like you said, Beirut got hit. It's not a community. It's not a, it's not a group that got hit. It's the city. If you were close enough, you'd be dead or injured. That's, that's cross sectarian. That's, that's everyone. Everyone is, is potentially sort of attacked in that kind of explosion. That's the state being negligent. So you have a population that's fed up. Does that also mean that the groups depend on each other or in ways that are unhealthy? Because by now, by now, it would just mean, okay, that's an old way of doing things. That system, the le system, is, is hurting everyone and, and killing people too. And this is 2020. This is not when the system was born. This is a century or later after this system um, has sort of survived many different eras. So is it, is it, does it have to do with an anxiety that's not necessarily political, but more psychological? Because it just doesn't... From the people. I mean, yeah, and I'm not blaming. It's not like putting burden on people that are suffering. Uh, quite the contrary. It's trying to understand why it's so difficult to get any member of that system, which you described, and that sort of individual is depending on each other. You also described it as a domino effect. One goes, the whole ship sinks. Why is it so hard to get one person out? If the pain is that immense and if the tragedy is so big, it just doesn't make sense that one person is still too much. And that to me doesn't sound political. It sounds beyond political, that it's, mm. it's maybe, uh, it's so deep and entrenched that maybe it's not it's not something that politics can solve absolutely but yeah um, but then in that sense if, if that's the case what kind of change is possible short short of the bad forms of change which we've experienced which are violence I mean, what what kind of positive change is there i was watching an episode a few days ago of yours to check it to to just you know get I'm back sorry. in the view of the podcast <laughs> and so on and someone said your, your questions are hard. And I'm like, I'm here thinking to myself. I'm like, whoa. I always feel bad when someone, it's been, a few people have said this to me and I, maybe I should come with like, no, you know no, what no, I should, no, 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 no. Julie, I know what to do. Do you think change is possible? Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> that was amazing. Really amazing. <laughs> um, so, wait, so I need to gather my thoughts at this point because, um, because it, these are very, very relevant questions, but they, they are very um, challenging and, and for a Friday night, let no, you say that. You're right. Lot. You're right. And but, I, I'll, but, I'll, I'll, let me reframe it though, just very quickly. I'll say that I, I, yeah. I, I'm, speaking, I'm asking you as a reporter, as somebody who covers mm -hmm. these events, who at the same time is not just a maybe a neutral reporter. I assume from your pieces and, and maybe the, the way you express your ideas that there are some ideas you prefer to others and that you are at least in favor of change. I'd say that's the most broadest way possible. I assume, yeah, status quo is not your preference. So I, I mean it as a reporter covering these events and also sort of seeing the that repeated wall and that people are not able to sort of climb over or at least knock it down. Um, again, because the, like, that, the, the answer is relatively the same to the first one talking about how the system has been the same for decades now at this point. Mm. Um, um, the, like, we have seen some breaches in the system in mm -hmm. the past few years with, mm -hmm. the, with the different elections and, and e not just elections, just even in the general atmosphere and the discourse that you hear more and more, especially among the youth, yeah. but not limited 
to the youth. So, um, so that's one thing. Yes. But at the end of the day, you are talking about people, and we are talking about people that have been there, that, that, that enabled the creation and the, like the construction of the whole system. So they're not going to fall just because we want change. That's why, like, as you said, it's more than politics as usual, but at the same time, it's based on the like politics are, are, as usual are based on the system. We're talking about a lot about systems today. No, but I'm curious if it's a chicken and egg thing because, okay, yes, these people have created a very comfortable environment for their worst ideas to flourish. Yeah. And some of them are dinosaurs. And most of them have sort of lingering ties to the civil war. Not, not all of them, but a lot of them are expired and they're still around. That's fair. And actually, that, that is actually more than fair. That is accurate. These are, uh, not, uh, these are not the reformists anyone would want in terms of trying to enhance positive change, at least from within. So I'll give you that. At the same time, you know, you see countries that go through revolution. You see countries that go through massive change, sometimes not necessarily for the better, but, but regardless, that they actually do implement some change over time. And it's not a Lebanese phenomenon. I mean, many countries have been pushing for accountability and, and the like. And though, for the most part, those countries get there over time. They, they do actually get to a place that, that's functional. Now we kind of, there's this like hesitancy to go too far and then the comfort zone kicks in you know and i i'm really just trying to get to the bottom of why one person in the state cannot be held to account properly because that that should be as easy as anything this 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 kind of explosion you should have many people in jail by now and yeah there are a few people that were kind of detained. But, but how do you do that in a corrupt judiciary system? So, so in, in that sense, the, 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 yeah, no, sorry, the, go the ahead. The thing is, the, the, the people that, I mean, I'm talking in the judiciary system only. I'm not mm -hmm. talking um, the people in the street whatsoever. Um, these are people that were put there by those same Zama, right? Yeah. Right. And so, and so the thing is, we're not even going to talk about competence and skills and, and if they're qualified or not to do the job. I'm not going to go that far mm -hmm. um, because then we would have to go into each one of them. And then that will, it's That's an true. endless, yeah. it's an endless uh, yeah, um, you're conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, but just talking about how they got the job and, and the whole judiciary system is like, everyone's like, we want an independent judiciary system and so on. Yes, for sure. But right now it's anything but independent. So yes, we do have an investigation going on. And yes, a lot of people should be in jail. And the fact that they're not until now says so much right. without saying anything about, this, about, about how that works and yeah. why no one has been held accountable so far. So the system is just too powerful? It's too entrenched? I mean... Yeah. So and, and then a population that's given the opportunity to demand that it that it changes fundamentally, it's just unable to defeat it at the end of the day. That it's it's just no. Too, no. I don't I, I don't think it, we can go that far by saying mm. unable to do it because that would be even worse than being pessimistic at this point. Mm. Um, mm. The thing is, um, the proper revolution aspect if we're gonna go let's let's go back to just october in that yeah. sense last mm -hmm. year um like that was only what 10 months ago a bit more yeah but it's a it is a, that's a true yeah a revolution takes so much time in any country if you take historically speaking it doesn't take a few months especially when we're talking about this kind of entrenched deeply entrenched system that's so big and that that's bigger than all of us that will take so much time to to put down it's not unfeasible in any way mm, Akibla, mm, no, mm. no that would be so like heartbreaking if 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 I, I don't even know like why why would we still be in Lebanon at this point if, mm -hmm. if we couldn't change anything um, but the thing is revolutions take time 
change takes time. And as I said earlier in the conversation when we talked about civil society and not let's not even call it civil society necessarily, just counter actors, counter powers in a sense um, that could stand up to the traditional establishment that would already like put forth a dynamic in order to to maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel at this point, that, that maybe something is possible. I agree with you. And I will also say that, let's say revolutions take decades to effect, to effect change. Let's, let's say it's, it's a very long, drawn out process. That said, the, the most important things that need to happen, happen at the beginning, not towards the right. end. And nothing of value in terms of political change has happened. Uh, Hariri's right. resignation, which you described earlier, in a, in a way that I think is so fitting, is in a way like any Hariri resignation. <laughs> yes. It's happened before. And, and you know what? Despite all of his statements to the contrary, there is a very good chance he'll be prime minister again. So that's not, that, I don't think of that as the steps in the right direction. Hassan Dieb's resignation is almost irrelevant now. The man was prime minister for seven months, and he will go down in history as almost like a like a footnote as rather than as the PM than, for seven months. As that's the PM, be the... who, who for maybe against his own political wishes, was the prime minister during the most horrific explosion in modern history. So that too, but he's not he's not uh, he's not a byproduct of positive change. I'll add to this that. The protests that we've seen and all the reasons that they were diminished over time, this includes COVID-19, but all the reasons, and, and, and violence too, state violence at times against protesters, all of these things have turned people away from the street at times. But a year after the initial push, by now there would be, there would be some representation, there would be some tangible leadership. There'd be some structure in place. It doesn't take that long. And if anything, these things would have happened way before these blasts last week. They would have happened maybe even within weeks of the October 17 moment of the uprising. So I, I, I know I sound pessimistic and bleak and almost borderline depressing when, I, when I'm framing it this way, but I just, I will disagree on the, I think, yes, revolutions take time. But I still don't think of this as a revolution. And I think of that because there's just no visible change. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, yeah. I mean, I'll say bluntly, the president of the republic, a symbolic figure maybe at best, a sort of a, a counterproductive <laughs> leader at worst. I mean, all the names have been thrown at him. There's no need to sort of go that deep into this. A very, very uh, complicated individual who um, who's still there. If anything, that should that kind of a resignation on his terms, and even his entourage sort of suggesting that he depart. Even that conversation never it never happened. And that's kind of the first step that you would imagine in a revolution leadership. But how? Yeah. But they're living in their bubble in the sense that there's them, there's us, in the sense that there is their bubble, and that's why the conversation never happened. And like, the, like if you remember the the the, is that we're gonna talk about the the president side in that sense? I'm picking if him only because the, he's the technically he's sort of the symbolic Westbrook. head of the republic. But Absolutely. I mean, I know that the list and, is long, but I just meant like. That's one very visible. But that's a ve no, no, but that's a very, very relevant example in the sense that if we go back to October, November, even after that, but especially that time, and the discourse that him or the party was even holding was complete, like denial, like like yeah. living in a complete on 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 Mars at this point, uh -huh. like people in the street. Mars and is them, too close. I think sort of beyond. Yeah, Jupiter. maybe we could go all the way to Pluto at this point. Yeah, yeah, but, out, um, of, out of the solar system. You're just like, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, detached. Different galaxy. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, <laughs> galaxy but, 1989. Yeah. 
It's just so you, sad. You can, I think when you sort of, you can always bend time and space if you have the the Not physics hey. on your side. I think he lives in Absolutely. he lives in a different a parallel universe. <laughs> completely, completely. And so, and so that like if you, like you have like you had different types of profiles in that establishment. You have the the ones that are just in denial at yeah. this point. That could be the president. You know that what's going on. And are just refusing to change anything because they're convinced in 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 their own power and thirsty for power at this yeah. point. Yeah. And and I might be forgetting another category at this point that's not coming to me. But um, but like you have the ones in denial, the ones that know what's going on but don't want to to act on it, and then maybe the, there's a third one that I. But I you don't. see, but even when leaders are in denial, they're forced out. They're never forced out fully aware of what's going on. I don't think one uh, unfit leader left sort of fully aware of the anger and resentment. So he Muslims. he would fit the pattern, if anything, so in a bubble. Like in the, in the way you described it well, he's not even in Beirut. He's in his palace, and his his entourage maybe tells him things that are not true, and that's that's standard. And at, even then, even then, there would be enough whispers reaching him or his people, suggesting that it's over. I mean, I don't think the yeah, and I don't think the blasts no, are that no. moment. I mean, if anything, October seventeen was that moment. And but imagine uh, if you're convinced that you've done nothing wrong, and you're convinced of it, and and you think that this is your right yeah. to be in that place, yeah. and that you've earned it, and that this is not your fault. And yeah. why would you resign? And especially you have people around you that keep on telling you that. It's going to be okay. But I guess, you know, I'm not saying it clear. I'm not saying it accurately. It's less them. It's more us. Why are we not able to just get them out? Is it something that's just so basic that's not said any longer because it's obvious and people don't want to keep bringing it up? Is it the fact that Lebanon is not a standard country where people rise up and the leader falls? Does it come to just pure, pure confessionalism at the end of the day that it, it is up to the Maronite Christians to deem own unfit and it's not no one else's business? I mean, is it that no. bleak? No, it's not that no, bleak. No, because you're talking about the president of the republic at the end of the day. He's the right. president of all Lebanese people. So, right. so, so no, um, maybe the base will be maybe stronger as I were talking about in, in, in that community, but, mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't mean that the Lebanese themselves are not concerned by that, by, by him, you know, you know the, the, he affects their lives as well, you know, the, his actions mean. Right. Um, and, and so the thing is, um, I don't advocate for violence in any way, but that does raise questions on whether um, the people should go all the way to being violent in order to make them fall. Because so far, the before the blast, not after the blast, because the latest protests we've seen have been anything but peaceful, especially Absolutely. thanks to the to the to the other side, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, the, the, especially in October, it was very very joyful, very nice, with the exceptions of a few nights and so on that were definitely not peaceful. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that does raise a question that maybe it should go. Should it go a level further? I don't. I don't have the answer for that. But um, but if you look at other revolutions in other countries historically, no one has under has under revolution peaceful. The exceptions are the few that made history, and that's the Berlin Wall coming down. That's uh, the Czech Republic even the divorce of Czechoslovakia, there are examples. Poland was largely nonviolent, largely. Uh, and then there are very violent examples too. Uh, Romania, they executed their dictator on television. Um, Ex-Yugoslavia was a very, very bloody sort of post-Cold War uh, collapse. So it's, yeah, I agree with you that revolutions are, are at best, at best, peaceful. 
But even in that, you, you do have people that are injured, people that suffer. And at times, people die. And already a few Lebanese have died since October due to the unrest. That said, though, it's always impressive to see hundreds of thousands of Lebanese heading to Martyrs Square. And then in mm -hmm. October, millions of Lebanese throughout the country doing that. That's very impressive. Um, it's also it's also humbling, maybe. And, and, and then it's almost like it's frustrating. You see bold attempts in other places that are not usually targeted. Hundreds of protesters go up to Babda on the highway. They reach the intersection. They're trying and they can't get far. Um, those brave souls in Nabatiye who tried and then were silenced and suffocated. I mean, yeah, these are very, very, th those seem to be where the power rests. And those are the targets that are kind of shielded. And I think Prime Ministers come and go, cabinets come and go. How many have we had anyway in recent history? We've had so many. And let alone under one president's term. I mean, Aoun has seen, I think, too many <laughs> governments come and go. So that, I mean, it's not, you know, protests can do that. That's, that's great. Protests can actually keep that momentum. That doesn't seem to enact change. And I'll go back, or I'll go back to the civil society question. These are names that I think both of us know anyway. So it's not like this, these are not strangers. These are mm -hmm. these are very visible, and some of them have been doing this for years. They've been pushing, yes. pushing, pushing. Some of them way before the Ustink protests started. They've been laying the seeds for change, and those are the maybe the names and faces that are passionate about change even until now, but cannot sort of enter the halls of power. So I I don't know. There's something about the long-term sluggish change in Lebanon that is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating. And we, we have generations that come and go without anything happening. Most what? I, yeah. I, I know it's almost like cheesy to say this, but it's true. Lebanon is an old country now. It's 100 years old. The borders were drawn mm -hmm. 100 years ago. We haven't really gotten far <laughs> in a century of time. You right. mean we've, we've downgraded quite a bit, John? Well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, yes. If you look at the numbers back in, like, you know, everyone has been sharing that, especially during the, the when the, cri the economic crisis was hitting, yeah. like, starting to hit, started to hit really, really hard. And, you know, when everyone was sharing those numbers that back in the 50s, mm -hmm. we were the ninth economy, or I don't know yeah. which number. Like, so we, like, downgraded is, I think, even, like, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, right. There's terrain I want to explore with you when it comes to covering the events, reporting on the events, and also the striking uh, intimidation against reporters, or not even necessarily traditional reporters, just people with their phones trying yeah. to cover what's happening. And you, ha you have horrible stories of sort of people getting bruised, whether it's security personnel or even soldiers, yeah. or for that matter, uh, state security shooting rubber bullets and not just at protesters but also at people doing their job and uh, a lot of this is sort of it reminds me of the old days where you couldn't really say whatever you wanted or cover whatever you wanted and that's pre-2005 i'm asking just sort of your own side do, do you sense that these things are still heading in the wrong direction or do you think there's enough popular sort of resentment and maybe even pushing back where you don't, you won't see this as sort of taking hold? It could be a citizen screaming and shouting on Instagram that they hate the president and then they're taken in. Or it could be just sort of something that is shared on Twitter and people get a phone call for interrogation. Do you think this is a temporary thing? Or, or do you see this as something that's going to be unfortunately with us for the time being? No, definitely it's going to be with us for the time being. I mm. think there's no no question about it, especially that now with the recent decisions that have been taken this week with the state of emergency and so on. Right. So we see how that could affect. Um, so if we talk on one side of re reporters and at the same time um, regular people on their, on their social media. So for reporters specifically, considering what has been taken as decisions this week, 
there's no reason to think that this is not going to get any worse because there's mm. there's genuinely a will to shut people up at this point time yeah. to, to scare them enough in order for them not to say anything and this is and, coming coming from the state itself coming from the state of emergency exactly. and yeah right exactly and that says a lot about um their mindset in a country that's viewed on the outside as you know the, 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 the only country in the Middle East where you can say anything you want. Well, right. well that, that's clearly like, um, they call that in French, un pied de nez. Uh, I can't find the word in English right now, but like, like that, that's clearly a sign that this is not going to go this way. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and, and so there's no reason to think that that's going to change. And at the same time, um, this is not new of people being called for a post on social media uh, this is definitely like it, it might intensify if they have the resources, but it's not like it's really not new. Not, not new meaning the uh, just the method, but but the numbers have yeah. seen, have sort of taken a sharp increase. Right, uh, and so that's why I'm telling you I don't think it's gone. The more there's going to be unrest, and the more uh, people are going to get angrier and and go protest, and people are going to try to do their job. Yeah. Um, the more they, they're going to repress more and more. I think. But that doesn't mean, but that doesn't mean at the same time that people won't be able to get their voice out. Because so we, yeah. we we do have social media. We didn't we didn't we didn't used to have social media before two thousand and five. So do you do you? I mean, I, I know that most of your reporting is not Lebanese focused, but it has become yeah. Lebanese focused because yes. the story happens to be in Lebanon at least at least now. Uh, do you, do you have you had to sort of maybe not, not 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 necessarily censor but have you had to oh. have you faced situations where you were second guessing what you were writing or maybe unwilling to take certain risks at certain moments because of that intimidation because in you Lebanon? didn't yes so and, attacking Lebanon well or attacking yeah I'm, I'm more in Lebanon at least within the protests at least from the start of the protests until now not, not so much the other countries more in the Lebanese scene have you sort okay. of been careful? I am curious about the other countries too, but but just okay. in terms of uh, working for a traditional outlet in Lebanon, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I mean, has there has there been any sort of reluctance on your side? No. 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 So you're able to say Ever. whatever you want. You're able to yeah. publish anything you want. Also, bear in mind that um, most of the pieces so far that have that I have worked on for the local. Um, side of mm -hmm. the newspaper um, are not pure, pure politics. Right, right. So that plays a role as well, uh, because in the sense that um, you are less likely to write things that are going to be controversial in the eyes of the state, um, depending on the, on the, on the, on the topics you, you, you are going to be tackling. Mm -hmm. So for the Lebanese news, I haven't had this issue myself, but my colleagues have, for sure. But, uh, but, but Usually, because of the sense of, of the editorial line on what's going on in Lebanon right now, which is very clear, um, there's no censorship on that channel. But that doesn't mean that you won't have differing opinions um, among, among reporters on, on certain topics, but that will... But, but, that, then that depends on the format of the piece that you're writing. Is it? Are you writing an op-ed? Are you writing sure. a commentary? Are you writing a proper factual... Um, article where you're just um, giving the info and that's it, not giving any of your opinion. But do you sense the censorship, if, if it is censorship, is coming from the journalists themselves, that they just don't want to end up in that situation? Or is it more a policy that don't go too far on certain individuals, don't, don't shed too much light on one thing? Because I'm curious, does this sort of heightened interrogation have ripple effects on journalists just doing their job, that they don't, that they don't want to be in the limelight. They don't want to get those calls. I really think it depends both on the journalist and on the topic again. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. timing and what's going on at the same time. And, yeah. and is like, because at the end of the day, everyone I know at least wants to do their job. That's something like, and, and, and they will do it whatever the cost. Yeah. Um, the rest, the other variables that there are in this equation, Yami, um, are related to Timing, topic, um, and also the, 
the, the journalists themselves around what, what they want to do. The other thing is um, concerning the other countries, it's very different on my, but that, like that's my specific case. I'm talking about international news being in Lebanon, right. um, especially tackling the Gulf countries. So that's, which is always a sensitive issue on, mm-hmm. on, on what you're going to say about them. Cause, um, cause we know how, how censorship happens in the Gulf. Thankfully, I'm not affected by it here. So, Lorian, in your position today, you can pretty much say whatever you want on your terrain there. But there's no... Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the difference is that um, I can have issues if I go there. Right. In, yeah. yeah. It's different. Right. So, so I, here I can write anything I want, especially going back to Lebanon, being more flexible on what you can say and sure. not say... Again, with all the nuances that come along, um, that's the advantage for my field. And I mean, Yemen is like Yemen and the Gulf are completely interrelated, especially at the moment. And so, um, and so, I can write whatever I want. I just don't. I'm not sure what's what could happen if I if I decide to go to to Saudi Arabia tomorrow or 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 the UAE. I have no idea. But you know, I find this interesting. Usually, from my experience. Uh, the criticizing the local stuff uh, mm. in, in some ways seem to be easier than going after maybe regional leadership or regional policies. I always found that the pressure was to kind of fit into a narrative. And then there's that sort of larger story. You're either on one side or the other. It's actually good to hear that there is no pressure, at least in your work, that you don't have to sort of toe the line, that you're able to kind of look at the story for what it is, with the consequence that you probably will not travel there. If, if you go certain, yeah. if you go cover certain certain stories that may sort of get you in trouble. And we hear that this happens regularly, where Lebanese reporters end up arrested for yeah. something that they're covering Absolutely. there. Yeah. Absolutely. But that, you know, for me, this is fundamental. I think Lebanon means something. Just, and and, it, and that definition, whatever is left of it, to me is it, it includes expression, free expression. I think that is something that was very powerful for the region. And whenever there's, whenever there's attempts at chipping away from that, to me it's chipping away at what Lebanon is. It's, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, and, and, I agree. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's always startling to see these reports and to get these kinds of. Uh, old-fashioned interrogation, intimidation stuff that I really thought we were beyond. And it's happening now, in 2020. And, and uh, I mean, people risk their lives trying to get the story out. And, yeah, I, I hold this profession dear, and also that freedom of expression is still something critical to me in the Lebanese context. And I think it should be mentioned that, um, especially for the ones that take more um, firm stances concerning the state or concerning... Um, getting stories out that are controversial and could get them in trouble as well, mm-hmm. um, that their work is the most um, the most impressive, I think. Absolutely. Um, in the sense that, um, because I'm not in that lane in my daily usual right. work, yeah. it's a different lane. So, so no, no, I'm just, no, I can't, I can't even imagine the, the, the bravery it takes and the, and the, and the, mindset you have to be in in order to be able to go that far and, and sure and even the live streams that get interrupted by punches and and bruising this is really to me it just doesn't represent lebanon but i guess and, it's, become, and it's, a, yeah. it's and it's it's appalling and it's it's especially even now after post last with the, the the latest protests we've seen it's even more infuriating to see that exactly Especially in this context, it's always infuriating, yeah. mind you. But, uh, but but specifically right now, it's like really, yeah. that's all you have to do right now. It, like they're just reporting what you're doing. You're deciding to throw the tear gas. They're just reporting it, and even that they want to shut that down. Like I, it's just it's yeah. mind blowing. Though it's not surprising. Well, that's that, actually I think that's the tragedy too. That it's become less surprising, and over time, it, people adjust themselves, unfortunately, mm-hmm. to these bad. Yeah. These things that were spared for a long time and now being attacked. But that said, that said, I learn a lot just by going on social media and following mm-hmm. certain reporters. I depend on them in many ways for, for instant information. And uh, I, I think of them as 
part of the story, if not central to the story too. So I hope, I hope, uh, I hope in this process of change, whatever's happening to Lebanon, whether it's change for the better or worse, I hope certain principles survive. And one yep, of them is it. this, and I, I don't want to see this uh, sacrificed in the long run. I don't think it will in the sense that um, even though the, the repression seems to going for the worse, yeah. as we said, um, the will and the determination of both people on social media that have nothing to do with media and at the same time reporters wanting to get the story out no matter what, that will remain. Yeah. This, despite anything that could happen, I think, maybe not going that far to anything that could happen, but despite the repression getting worse, I think that will stay. The, the fact that people are still going to be determined to, to, to denounce what's going on. I really hope so. And sometimes I see signs of hope that point in that direction. And that's where you have to maybe lean on at times. So I really hope, I really hope uh, at least the public is, is taking a lot of initiative and circumventing the state when needed and uh, doing it because they need to survive. Otherwise, they will literally collapse with the country. I am going to uh, try and uh, without causing too much damage, I'm going to try to uh, reference the piece that I learned from you. Double explosion de Beirut, ce que nous apprenons l'analyse de données. Yeah, very good. Okay, that was very horrible. Good. And I will no, link... No, no. I will. <laughs> this is tragic. I'm going to link the the piece to the episode. Uh, to those that don't know how to speak French, I don't care. Get your Chrome. Get your translation software. Translate on Chrome. Just just right. deal with it. Yes. Um, and I I want to say a few things. Rarely do I ask anyone to stay up past midnight to deal with me. Okay. You are awake at one in the one, morning. One. one in the morning. Yeah. So that means a lot to me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. The well, second... no, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The second thing is, um, you you're actually uh, it it it's these kinds of not knowing who you are, and then seeing a post on Twitter uh, by sheer luck that we maybe I follow you or you yeah. follow me. Yeah. And you sort of announced that you made it out. I mean, this this it it kind of brings me closer to a tweet. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a I'm very I'm very fortunate that I can actually speak to the person who shares a post like that. It it means a lot to me. You've given me a lot of your uh, a lot of your time. No, thank you, thank you for offering all that. It was when I received your inbox and 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 your message and and asking me how I was doing. I was like. He doesn't even know me. Like he, you could have just liked the tweet or not even do anything and just keep on going with your life. But you took the time to write something. So that uh, what well, you should have done, well, you, you should have done is say retweet this or I'll block you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and also the way I thought about it when I posted the tweet is that um, I very rarely post anything personal. Or and you mentioned that actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I never do that. Right. And and. I don't know. I kept on seeing all those posts, posts on 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 Twitter and of people sharing their their feelings and how they they were doing after the the blast and so on. And I didn't know how. Like I was like, wow, how can they do it? I I I don't like. I don't know. For me, I never used Twitter at least or more generally social media in in that sense. Yeah. And for some reason, when I I looked at the conversation, went back and saw. Um, like my friend asking me how I was doing after that, something I was like, I need to share this. I need to share it. Like I understood all of a sudden why people were, had this need to actually like voice their emotions or voice how they were doing on a platform like Twitter, for example, where you have a bunch of people who really don't know in your followers and you're following people you don't know either. Sure. Um, I understood it completely. And, and it was very like, like, see, in the end, you, you sent me a text. So in the no, end, but it's, like, it's something else, about. too, which resonated with me, is that you took time. You took a few days. You took, it's not something you shared at the moment. You shared it after, yeah. after the moment. Be because because you kind of hinted at it, too, that you were so shocked and so sort of, yeah. you were terrified and you had to stop. Yeah. I, I actually, I mean, I feel the same way, even without being there. Sort of just yeah, of course. kind of, yeah. you have to pause for a moment, and you did. And I mean, I wouldn't have known that you live in Jaitewe, that your home was destroyed too. 
but I, I mean it at the end of the day that it's, I feel very honored that you were Thank kind you of. Thank you very much. No, it, it means a lot to me. Julie, uh, go to sleep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch up another time. Problem, I don't know how, I might even, I might even go work at this point because I'm not feeling, I'm not sleepy at this point, so. Thank you, Julie. Welcome. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.